It was only a 16 and up club. They never served alcohol. The guy who owned it was doing it as a community service. He thought young queer people need a place to meet each other. And so he did it. City Hall hated it. They created this rumor that it was run by a pedophile who was grooming children. I knew that rumor. I thought it was true. Only five years ago did I learn that that rumor came from City Hall because they were trying to shut him down. But you knew the rumor you still went. Oh, yeah. You were like, I, I, you know, we're going to just practice our dip, tuck, dodge and dive. No, (laughs) I was standing there with the with the lollipop waiting for the van to pull up. You're like, I was promised groomers. I I was promised someone would try to molest. I I was I was. I was there looking for the van. (laughs) Sir, do you have a puppy? It keeps driving away from you. Yes, exactly. I'm like, I I, I was promised vans with puppies. (laughs) But first, a word from our sponsors. Are you ready for the Unleashed Tour, where shamelessness, sexiness, and laughter collide in a hilarious orgy of fun, discovery, and sex edutainment? Embark on a captivating nationwide journey with the Shameless Sex Podcast and an electrifying ensemble of sex educators and sex positive entertainers as they bring you an unforgettably titillating live experience. Be a part of mesmerizing, entertaining, boundary pushing acts, shameless sex style. Ever heard of the Slurpee stick shift? Want to learn how to bury your face in her? How about some dirty talk improv or brat taming 101? Hmm. Get ready for nonstop laughter as our charismatic hosts and entertainers weave humor into the fabric of this liberating celebration of sexual diversity and freedom. Engage in interactive segments, Q&A sessions, and a chance to connect with like-minded individuals in an inclusive and empowering environment. Listen up, Portland, Chicago, Seattle, we're coming to you. For more information and to get your tickets right now, go to shamelesssex.com and be part of a night that will be fun, educational, sexy, hilarious, and shamelessly unforgettable. Seats are filling up fast, so don't miss out on the most unforgettable show of the year. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Man or Podcast. Shout out to the fan whores, to the whoreheads, to the man homies, to to all members of the Stay Slutty Society. This is Billy Presida, and you are listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Man homies, that's a new one. Don't know if it's going to stick. We're going to find out. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Coming at you every Wednesday for the past nine plus years with uh, sometimes funny sex positive conversations using my superpower of bringing on super funny people and making them not funny. Or like in this week, I'm bringing on just an author academic type and we have some good riffs. I definitely got my giggles in on this one. Uh, This week on the podcast, I've got on author Gregor Madsen. He has a new book out called Who Needs Gay Bars? Raise your hands. Just want to talk about a few things real quick. This Friday, we still have tickets available for the Naked Comedy Shows at Hacienda. 
It's BYOB, bring what you want to drink. Front two rows are clothing optional for the audience. And uh, we got two distinct killer lineups coming at you. Uh, Ticket link in the show notes for that. And also in the show notes, Man Whore Con, August 3rd through August 6th. It's happening. People are coming. The Man Whore Con HQ, the, the, the duplex apartment that we've rented out, the five bedroom. Yeah, all the rooms are gone. And there's still more people coming. So uh, we got somebody coming in from France. We got people driving from all over the place. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a party. We're going to go down to the Gunnison Beach. We're going to have an adult sex ed workshop of some sorts. I'm going to teach you some things. We're going to do the ball crawl. We're going to have some comedy. We're going to have a Man or Podcast live recording. And in between all that, there's going to be parties and whatever uh, shenanigans y'all want to arrange among yourselves. I'm not responsible for the sex that may or may not occur at ManhorCon, but historically, some sex tends to happen at ManhorCon. I don't know. So ticket link in the show notes for that. Uh, And here's the thing. You don't see me promote ManhorCon on my social media very much because I don't want to attract the wrong people. ManhorCon is for the fan whores. It's not for like some horny dude who follows me on Instagram who's like, yeah, I want to see if I can get some. It ain't for him. It's for y'all to connect with each other over your like-minded interests, over your shared love of the show, over maybe some horniness you've, uh, (laughs) you've witnessed in the peep show. So, you know, when you hear me promoted on here, you see me send out the email blast. That's primarily where you're going to see me uh, spout off ManhorCon. So if you don't see it on socials uh, too far in advance, that's why. I, I, I want to make sure we got the right people. And if you're listening to this show, you're probably the right people, I got to say. Even if you're not the most right people, you hear enough of the right people that I'm like, there's enough rightness that seeps into your little skull to be like, yeah, I could probably trust this one. So come out to New York City, hang out with us this August, get your weekend passes in the notes of the show, commonly referred to as show notes, schnotes, I might start calling them schnotes, in the schnotes, you can see links, Uh, and also in the schnotes you'll see all all my other upcoming stand-up comedy dates, those ones are uh, unfortunately clothed. On Thursday I went to Tribeca Film Festival for the first time Someone made a documentary about my favorite movie, Chasing Amy. Bombshell movie for me to see probably at the age of like 12. My first real exposures into like honest discussions about sex and sexuality and gender and intersection. Probably a lot of what you can explain about like my views on sexuality. A lot of origins are going to come back to Chasing Amy. And like the various monologues that those characters have in it. This dude, Sav Rogers, uh, made this movie Chasing Chasing Amy. And apparently Sav loves Chasing Amy just as much as I do. And, uh, and, and the movie, is it's not just like a, you know, the making of Chasing Amy. It's, um, I think that documentary exists, which I will also be trying to see. But this was, um, this was more like an examination of queer cinema both queer cinema at the time and queer film today and representation. There's a coming of age story here because Sav is a trans man and he kind of goes through that during the making of the documentary. Uh, They talk about Harvey Weinstein because Chasing Amy is a Miramax flick. And then there's this insane interview 
with Joey Lauren Adams, who plays the lead role of Alyssa Jones, which gave me like a lot of hard, difficult truth to sit with as a Kevin Smith and Chasing Amy fan. It was just, it was, I got goosebumps. I wept throughout the fucking movie. Um, It was everything I needed a Chasing Amy doc to be. It was a lot of things I didn't even know I needed a Chasing Amy doc to be. And I just, I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, It it, it just premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. It's going to be touring around film festivals around the country or I guess world. Take a, keep your eyes open. If there's a film festival coming to you, see if Chasing Chasing Amy's going to be there. Go see the movie. Tribeca has a thing called Tribeca at Home. It runs June 19th to July 2nd. So next week, think it's TribecaFilmFestival.com or something. You can pay like 12 bucks and you can watch like all the movies from the festival. Watch Chasing Chasing Amy. Incredible job by Sav Rogers, just like a stupendous job. I kudos to him and his team. Hoping y'all uh, y'all will hear Sav on this podcast in some future. Before I get to this week's guest, Gregor Matson, about nine months ago, you started hearing like like YouTube commercials on the podcast you started hearing like these pre-produced commercials they're not my voice like like when you have to watch 30 seconds of something before a youtube video and that's because i had joined something called Glassbox media i'd started a business partnership they wanted to sell ads on my show they promised me growth Longtime listeners know i've never had an issue really selling my own advertising but uh you know they, they did promise cross promotion among their network of podcasts and yeah, you start hearing like six, seven, eight minutes sometimes of commercials, which was a contractually mandated number. Well, this week I have left Glassbox. I'm just going to say that they didn't really get me, we'll say. The slight example I'll show is uh, they said they can't cross promote me on like a true crime podcast because it's a mostly women audience. And this is the man whore podcast. Well, my audience leans women, dude. What are we talking about? So it started to become not so mutually beneficial. So I'm out over there, and you're going to start hearing less, far less of those uh, what we call programmatic ads. So I hope you will enjoy far less ads on the podcast once again, and I hope you will support the Man Whore Podcast now that this obviously means like less revenue for Billy, but a better quality show for you. Financially moving forward, you know, buy shit from the brands that I have chosen to work with. Join the Patreon. If you hate the Patreon, my Cash App and Vemo are always in the show notes. The the newly named Schnotes. And I'm still offering a slew of great rewards over there, including a shout out on the Fan Whore Appreciation Moment, which right now is going to William Miller. Thank you, William, you old horny fuck. Love seeing you in the champagne room. Love having your support on Patreon and your emails. Gosh, they make me giggle. Thanks for being a fan whore, buddy. Thanks for supporting the show. I hope I'll see you tonight. Yes, tonight, June 14th. I hope I'll see you tonight at hot. Oh, 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 what the fuck? You didn't tell me it was going to be that hot of a movie night. Yes. 
tonight, 9.15 p.m. Eastern Time, we open the doors for Hot Movie Night. We're watching Behind the Green Door, another golden age porno classic in the Champagne Room. All patrons are invited. Check my Patreon feed for the instructions on how to get in. I'll see you there. William, thanks again. And you too can become a member, support the show at patreon.com slash podcast or download the Patreon app. Find me on there. Now for this week's guest, Gregor Matson. Super cool dude. Uh, went into this one pretty cold, pretty blind. All I knew is that he's a professor and I know that he has a book coming out called Who Needs Gay Bars? Had so much, I could have talked to this dude forever. We literally had to stop talking short, both for this one and in the bonus, because my memory card was running out. His book, Who Needs Gay Bars, is now available, and you can get the book through an independent bookshop. And by doing so, you are supporting Billy Boy over here. So, Gregor, I'll have a link to his book, the right link, in the notes. Patreon people, you're getting a bonus episode tomorrow where I try to get him to talk shit about specific gay bars in this country. And, uh, and for now, let's go chat with Gregor Matson. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage... All the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I think they think that that drag show that maybe a friend dragged them to one time is what a drag show is rather than what that drag show was. And so it's like when people talk about the drag shows, I go like, I don't think you've been to more than half of a drag show. No, they have been to zero drag shows. And they think- only know what their minister told them what a drag show was. Right. I mean, there are drag shows that conservatives could, I can understand how it might <laughs> offend their sensibilities. And yet- isn't the First Amendment a wonderful thing? Right, right. You're like, look, I for some of these shows, I get it. The The show's name is now unsayable because it contains a slur, but okay. it was known as T-Shack later. Okay. And one of the first, it was the first drag show I saw that I realized this is performance art. This is not men pretending to be women or trans women looking glamorous. This is performance art. One of the acts had two drag queens in cow costumes Mm -hmm. squat and put chocolate pudding on the stage, which they then rubbed on each other's faces and flicked into the crowd. And then later, one of the acts was a, um, a beauty queen who came out and did a strip tease to Good Ship Lollipop dressed as Jean Benet Ramsey. And when she finished, she had hand-shaped bruises all over her and she unfurled a sash that said, Daddy did it. 
you know, whatever makes you happy. It's art, right? It was super (laughs) fucking clever. Someone really put some thought into that. And you were like, should I be cheering at this? But I find myself cheering. And like, what's like the energy around like the other people when something particularly audacious happens when the the birth sequence is being performed what's like the rest of the crowd everyone's leaning forward they're leaning in like we are one we are of one mind these are artists who have taken us to a different place they have excited our queer imaginations and they're showing us that like you thought you were a weirdo no i'm gonna show you a weirdo (laughs) <laughs> well, that's a great time to introduce a uh, fellow weirdo, Gregor Matson. Did I get it right? You got it right. Oh, it, it, you know, Greg, I'm very familiar with Greg. Greg, Gregor. I, you know, Gregor, I'm like... Every doctor's office wants to give me a Y. <laughs> They're like, maybe you misspelled your name. Maybe I did. Maybe mom. Do you remember like the first drag show you attended? God. It must have been in college. I don't actually remember the first drag show I went to. Um, The first gay bar I went to, when I started doing research on it, you know, six years ago or whatever, I found out like it had a crazy drag scene. And I was like, why the fuck don't, I never remember seeing drag queens there. And then I realized, oh, the drag shows were on Saturday at midnight. Mm. I only went on Fridays because we had to be at church in the morning on Sunday. Uh. So I missed out on all the the radical, wondrous performance art. Instead, I was a good boy. Okay. Briefly. Okay. <laughs> what, uh, but what... what- what like how tied are the is like the history of like say drag shows with gay bars? That's such a good question. My mind is going in a bunch of different directions. I don't know how this will yeah. come up. Please, um, like back in the twenties and the thirties, there were clubs where there was queer performance. And today we would call it drag. There was this time where it was called the pansy craze, where straight people wanted to go see gay people on stage. So seeing men dressed as women and women dressed as men Mm -hmm. and singing and dancing on a stage. Now, of course, when we look back, we're like, those were probably trans people who were for for the first time making a living at being trans. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was that performance aspect it's hard to call those places gay bars because they were owned by straight people and they depended upon the patronage of straight people. But LGBTQ folks were working there and were coming to sort of experience that is this what freedom looks like on the stage? So there's always been this performative aspect to both are you queer that people can tell or are you hiding it or do you have to control your... Um, your gestures so that you can be safe in public. So, you know, we have, there's a, Jose Munoz says, is homosexuality a stage to get over or a stage to get on? Interesting. So um, I would say in the last 15 years, um, drag has really taken over all gay bars. There used to be lots of kinds of gay bars that didn't have drag in them. Traditionally, Lesbian bars were hostile to drag queens who they saw as mocking women. Mm -hmm. And certainly some of the old school drag queens were making fun of women. They were not, 
doing tributes to women. Um, and there were sort of men's cruisy bars, leather bars, kink bars that also really refused drag. And that's really gone away. Almost every gay bar has drag shows now. And there are drag shows that are... Because they're money makers now. Well, A, they're money makers, but B, drag is so vast. It is not people of one gender dressing up as the other gender. This is burlesque performance art. And so you can have a leather drag show. You can have drag kings. You can have drag artists who have exploded gender beyond human comprehension. And so no matter what kind of gay bar there is, there is a style of performance that will suit the people who are there and also bring in the crowds that we need to keep them open. Yeah, but like I, what I hear is so much of like the appreciation of the art when at the end of the day, it's still like all these venues, most of these venues, even the venues that aren't quote unquote gay bars or queer bars, still like people come in and check out drag shows, especially since like drag race, but even before drag race was like a show, a TV show, it's, it, that that was a thing it was like you had a drag night on Tuesday nights or it's drag queen bingo. They, and these are not new things at bars and they bring people in their entertainment this this concept is a money-making entertainment trust me a like quote-unquote not straight bar non-gay bar whatever like or restaurant they will take the drag show over the comedy show these days for financial reasons that makes sense these days maybe in the 90s when we had the boom and shit going the 80s when stand-up was popular but uh you know but i feel like stand-up is a burden to most venues that's interesting i mean it is certainly the case that there is more drag now, and mm-hmm. there are more drag artists in America now than there ever have been. Right. And yes, I have seen many sort of fancy hotels that are now doing a drag brunch, and you think like, do those suburbanites really deserve what they're getting? It's like, how are you voting? <laughs> well, there's that. But then I'm like, these queens deserve to be paid. Mm-hmm. And if these hotels are teaching these straight folks to bring fives and tens to tip because that's what they can afford, then I'm all for it. Like tip your Queens. Okay. Okay. Um, and maybe if they, maybe if the photos get out on Instagram of them at the drag brunch at the hotel, then, you know, maybe they'll get kicked off the school board. (laughs) Uh, you know, depending where they are. I mean, I feel the way you're kind of describing about the suburbanites at the drag brunch at the hotel, same way I feel about like swingers, uh, like Republican swingers. Cause I go like, how dare you get to benefit from this like sexual revolution that is at the heart of it, like our queer people you're voting against. You shouldn't get the benefit from the product of people whose rights you vote against. Even if you like your low taxes, then demand the candidate that you want to have in who likes to give you low taxes, demand they get on board with the queer rights. That's, that's that's where I'm at. I, agree I long with you. for a Republican candidate who I'd have to think about. An old school Main Street Republican who was like, let's get the government off everyone's backs. And yeah, but that's they not never met. Yeah, but the everyone, it was never, you know, it was never, never for you. everyone. No, never right. me. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's for sure. So you, you, I mean, so in a way, you know, one could say like, who needs gay bars, drag queens? All drag artists. Absolutely. I mean, it's their bread and butter. It's the training grounds. One of the things I love about watching RuPaul's Drag Race, not that drag can be confined by one little TV show, but 
I love when the queens from the center of the country get to show their stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, we see New York and yes, we see Chicago and yes, we see LA, but I love seeing Columbia, Missouri and Albuquerque and uh, Gretna, right. New Orleans, or Gretna, Louisiana. <laughs> like, you know, people in the big city come from someplace else and we have to have a place to do our art. And where do you come from? I grew up in a small town in Washington State, okay, near Portland, Oregon. It was kind of a blue-collar town. Mm-hmm. It has a paper mill in the middle of the town, so the whole town is organized around this stinky paper mill. Okay. My high school mascot was the Paper Makers. Not the only high school with Paper Makers as their mascot. There's one in Wisconsin. Oh, my God. I'm shaking my boots as I, I go to the football field against the... Paper makers. Oh, you know, the other teams. Recycle the paper makers. Rip the paper makers. Yeah, we all asked for that. Yeah, we did. Team that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's the kind of town it was. Then the suburbs around uh, Portland exploded and they swallowed my little town. And now it is extremely bougie, mm-hmm. extremely high rent. Um, no one can afford to live there who grew up there. But like in terms of like the acceptance of like queer it, folks. I don't even, you know... It like how far away was the small town gay bar where you were? There was no small town gay bar. There was no gay bar in the county I grew up in. You had to drive to Portland, but Portland is only 30 or 40 minutes away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first gay bar I went to, I did not know at the time that every city didn't have a 16 and up gay club. You had a 16 and up gay club? Yes. The city nightclub of Portland, Oregon. And they were the ones that had crazy drag shows on Saturdays. It didn't serve alcohol. Mm-hmm. I think it had a $5 cover. Maybe it was 10 Apparently, Gus Van Sant went there sometimes. But Was it like a bar and all like off nights they did it as a 16 and up club? No, or it, it was only a 16 okay. and up club. They never served alcohol. They okay. were only making money off their covers and selling sodas to teenagers. And the guy who owned it was doing it as a community service. Yeah. He thought young queer people need a place to meet each other. And so he did it. City Hall hated it. They created this rumor that it was run by a pedophile who was grooming children. You know, I knew that rumor. I thought it was true. Only five years ago did I learn that that rumor came from City Hall because they were trying to shut him down. But and you knew the rumor, they... you still went. Oh yeah, you were I... like, I, I, you know, we're gonna just practice our duck, duck dip, tuck, dodge, and dive. No, <laughs> I was standing there with the with the lollipop, waiting for the van to pull up. You're like, and... I was promised groomers. I, I was promised someone would try to molest. Me. I was, uh... I was, I was there looking for the van, <laughs> sir. Do you have a puppy? It keeps driving away from you. Yes, exactly. I'm like, I I, I was promised vans with puppies. I mean, were you into like older gentlemen? Like, is that part of it? Or is it because you didn't know if there was anyone? You were at a nightclub where like there were people your age. I was desperate to be discovered. And I don't mean that like a starlet. Like I wanted to find myself and Mm -hmm. I thought I would find it through someone else. And so... You know, there was a kid who approached me, and only years later did I realize he was hitting on me when he invited me to a suburban uh, hot tub party. Okay. And I was too fucking scared to go. I was like, I will never do that. Wow. Um, But, like, that was so validating that someone would see me and want to hang out with me despite the fact that I was queer. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was the only time I ever talked to someone who I didn't go with. I mean, the person who took me there was my girlfriend. <laughs> my only. My one, my only. 
What was the feeling the first time you walked into one of these places? So it was really sad. Um, tragic is a better word. Um, when I walked in, this song was playing, and I thought, this is the most beautiful song, the most meaningful, heart-rending song I have ever heard. And it was Hathaway's What is Love? And I was like, yeah, baby, don't hurt me. No more. Like, I really was moved by that song, and still it pulls at my heartstrings, even though I know it's been spoiled by Saturday Night Live. And your your girlfriend, girlfriend at the time. No, she was my real it. girlfriend. No, no, I know she was your girlfriend, but like, I mean, are you are you bi or are you no? Gay? Okay, right. So I'm it was like, like it was a it was a beardy girlfriend, right? Very be- before I could grow facial hair, I had yeah. a beard. So so she brings you to your first gay bar, and like, why? So I clearly she is aware. I don't think she was. She had a cousin who was gay. Okay, and so she was kind of going out of support of her cousin. And was the cousin going with you too? Yeah, we would meet up with okay, the cousin okay. at the club. I don't know. She's like, no, I'm just here to support the dollars in honor of my this uh, this tequila sunrise is in honor of my. There cousin. was no tequila sunrise. Oh, right, 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 it was Coke, nice. Diet Coke, sorry, sorry. or Sprite. <laughs> like that's as hard as it. I'm got. having a hard time like calling it uh, a bar, but well, yes, I hear you. I yes. mean, this is the thing. Like, does does it count as a gay bar? Like, it was a bunch of gay kids running around, sort of like we had no idea. Well, I had no idea like what I was arcade. doing. It was a gay arcade. Um, you know. I had two feelings simultaneously, and those are the feelings I still have as an adult today. Mm-hmm. When I went in there, I was so disappointed that it was just kids. It looked like a high school gymnasium. It was just kids because I had seen queer people on TV on Geraldo. Do you remember uh, Michael Alig? I, I I'm terrified to ask how old you think I am, uh, but no, I, I do not. Okay, I mean, he's famous because they made movies about him. He was the club killer who... Was he the kid, Macaulay Culkin yes. person? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. familiar. Okay, so it was the club kids of the early 90s, and they would be invited on all these shows. And so I saw queer people, and they had, like, crazy outfits and face makeup. And they were going to the limelight. They were going to, like, real bars, real yes, nightclubs. Yes, exactly. And so I was so when I, I was I was scared to go to this to go to the city and then we went in and I was like, this is just a bunch of kids. Yeah. But I was also so relieved because I don't have it in me to be fabulous. Mm-hmm. I am just your ordinary run of the mill homosexual. And so <laughs> I was like, woo, like what a relief. I don't have to wear bat wings and a alien head to go out, I can actually just mow a lawn and then go be with my people. You can be blue collar gay. I don't know if I'm blue collar. Well, I have become pretty bougie. Oh, okay. Okay. What's, uh, and so what was going on with that girlfriend at the time? This is like how old? 16, 17? Yeah, 17. What was going on with her? Nothing. Well, and she was very frustrated. Yeah. So t- tell me, what was, what's the origin of that? Like, how, how, how did you? Who tricked who into dating the other? She tricked me, of course. And, you know, I was like, everyone else has a girlfriend. I'm, you know, this is what you do at this stage of life. And we were friends before that, of course. We used to ride bikes together. But once we started dating, and you can't see the air quotes at home, but I, you know... Then we would only go on these highly formal ritualized dates and we wouldn't see each other otherwise. And so it was very weird because we used to walk to school together, but now we would only see each other every two weeks on a date. And then after the date, we would make out. And I was like, is this all there is? 
I feel so bad for her. What did the making out feel like? Have you ever... Um, it it was like a winter tomato. You think it's going to be this amazing taste of summer, and it's just sawdust. <laughs> it's total. It's you're like this. I, I this is supposed to be a kiss. This is supposed right. to be magical, and instead, this is. It's not disgusting, but it's like, why would you eat sawdust? Like it's it. Why would you eat a winter tomato when you could have a summer tomato? <clears throat> Um, so I've never made out with like a man before. So I'm going to see if like I can draw a comparison. Have you ever made out with a guy and like it, it, you're like, it wasn't good. Yeah, of course. Okay, so is it any, is there any similarity between making out with a man and you're like, who's we're, bad we're, at kissing, not even bad at kissing. Just like, there's no spark. Like, like I made out with someone recently who the, there's no, there wasn't the spark and maybe it's cause we didn't flirt enough. Maybe this, maybe that, but there wasn't a spark. The, the mechanics are all fine. Our tongues are swirling. Like we're in a. We're, our tongues are in communication. We understand what's happening, but I'm not like razzed and I don't feel that she's razzed, which is usually I have a thing for people who have a thing for me. So it's like if I you, you don't seem razzed, I'm probably not going to be razzed. So I'm trying to see like what like because again, I don't have the comparison is like so was making out with a woman for you similar at all to making out with a guy you're just not into. If that, that is, made sense. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. The closest I came to was a three-way kiss uh, like a year ago where I didn't know he was going to be involved in this three-way kiss. And so like, uh, you know, like basically tons were touching, but there wasn't like, it was like almost we all met in the the empty space in the middle of our of three miles. And I was like, all right, fine. Because I really want to make out with her. And, uh, but like, it wasn't like, a, like we took turns making out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Yeah, making out with a guy, but you know, there's still something there. Okay. There's still something there for me. Like, there's a possibility. Okay. There's a potential. And I don't know if I've even made out with any other women, or at least, no, I don't think so. Mm. And I don't want to waste someone's time. I was wasting someone's time. Sure. How did that, how did that relationship end? You, you knew you were gay at the time, though. I was fighting it. Desperately. Okay. Sure. Early 90s. Um, I came out when um, Oregon was having a proposition to ban all LGBTQ plus people from public employment. Basically, they wanted to fire all gay teachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was really homophobic at the time when I was coming out. And I didn't, all I knew was that gay people were like very concerned and very earnest. And I didn't feel I felt concerned, but not earnest. So I like there was nothing about desire or fun or joy. Mm. And those were the things I was looking for, like desire. And what was your question? Uh, well, I was asking, how did that relationship end? Oh, the and, relationship. And, I, and I, I tied in like you already were aware of yourself. I was barely. This was my last ditch effort. This was right. the. This was I threw up one last barricade. I will go on not, these dates every other week, and I will kiss this bitch until uh, I figure out how to get out of it. Because um, for me, being gay was being a bad person. Yeah, and and I knew I wasn't a bad person because all these very lovely people liked me, and mm -hmm. I didn't want to let them down. Sure. And so I thought. Well, I I don't know. I didn't realize I didn't know enough to know I was just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. That I didn't know about. So I 
Um, finally, it was Valentine's Day of 1993, and my sister let her into the house, and she papered the walls of my bedroom with probably 5,000 little hearts that she had cut out of construction paper. Oh, no. And I was like, okay. I don't like this, Gregor. This is not... I was like, okay, if this is where this is going, like, we can't do this again. And it took me hours to get all of these things off of the walls. Yeah, well, how many hours did it take for her to, like, To cut the fucking thing? This, yes, I was like, oh, God. So then I was like, okay, like... I, I can't stop this. I probably am gay, yeah. but I am so good at school that, and everyone always said during high school that I was too busy with school to have a girlfriend. Mm. And I was like, I can probably carry this off until I'm 30. So I don't have to worry about it until then. So I'll just keep being good at school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how did you get out of it? I went and got a PhD. I stayed in school till I was 32. Wait, when, when did you get out of it? What do you mean? Out of school? The girlfriend. You don't so oh, she's no. not you're not so with her, right? That, no, no, no. <laughs> that February, after the hearts showed up, I was like, ding dong, gotta shut this thing down. And so I was like, Yeah, we have to break out this break up. This isn't working. And she wanted to know why. And I said, you know, it's just one of those things. It's not me, it's you. I think I heard that on a sitcom. It worked great. Thanks, <laughs> growing pains or whatever. What was uh what was your first experience of gay joy? Um, that thing you said you weren't getting to witness growing up. I went to a movie in college and in the dark, someone sat down next to me and there was a magnetism okay. and we talked and during the movie. Yeah. Offensive. Yes. It, it was <laughs> Jurassic park. If that makes it any better. And I'd already seen Jurassic Park. You, I mean, no one goes to Jurassic Park for the dialogue. Um, and we, we, yeah, we talked. And then um, this was, I don't even remember if we exchanged numbers, but I was like, I don't know who this person is, but I'm going to find them. And then like three weeks later, I was at a cafe on campus and I heard the voice and turned around and it turned out he was super handsome. Oh. And so we hooked up. In Mitchell Hall on the second floor. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was a that was my achievement. I assume that wasn't like your first like hookup with a man though. That was my first oh, hookup with a man. That was okay. the first. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. And did that, like how did that and feel? It was terrible. Like, I was terrible? Why was it terrible? <laughs> I was so nervous, I was shaking. I thought I was gonna fall apart. Like I was literally like vibrating out of my existence. Mm. So I couldn't really enjoy it. But he was very sweet. And it turned out he had been going off with guys since he was like 13. He was like, that's been my move. Like, go to the movie theater. I <laughs> Drink Jurassic sit next Park. Sit a dude and I see. And he, he was my age. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> he owns a gay bar now. Amazing. Well, whereabouts? DC. Does, do you Actually. Want, do you, you want to shout out the gay bar? Yeah. Go Dacha. Go, go Dacha. Dacha. Oh, Dacha. Yeah. Dacha in DC. Um <laughs> The original one on Q Street in Shaw. The you, other one, you know, is really nice too. Did you end up interviewing him for the book? Yeah, he's the final chapter. Hey. Yeah, Dima. Um, because his bar, I mean, I call it, he, it's not a gay bar. It's a beer garden. But it's... Beer gardens are like the gay bars of bars, though. I feel like 
You know, what's interesting is I was just in Berlin at a wedding and the day after the wedding, we all went to a beer garden and I asked all these Germans, like, could you have a gay beer garden? And they were like, no. Because a beer garden is already pretty gay. No, they're like, beer garden is for everybody. And I'm like, well, a gay bar can be for everybody. And they're like, no, it can't. And I was like, but he has, Dima and his beer garden in Shaw in DC has squared the circle. It is for everybody. Lots of people are there. To me, it has a very campy aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So to me, it resonates. There is this giant mural of Elizabeth Taylor kind of giving side eye, looking down at this beer garden. Um, So that feels very campy and gay. But, you know, there's plenty of straight people there too. And the, the place doesn't do like drag shows, but they do do benefits. And the causes that they have supported are more diverse and queer than most gay bars. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if this is where we're going, um, I call it post-straight. I don't like post-gay because I'm not over that. No. I, I will. Because well, everybody's getting a little gay now. Like everybody is just a little. You, the pandemic, a lot of people journaled. You can pry my gay out of my cold, dead hands when you all give up your straight. When I mean, you, I think that's what's happened culturally. Though. Yes. Renounce your straightness and I will consider giving up my gayness, but I will never give up Golden Girls. Yeah. No. And I, I don't think you should. I, like I said, I really think during pandemic, during COVID, during lockdowns, I think a lot of people had a lot of time to watch some new kind of porns and to, you know, look inside themselves a bit. Uh, I started going to open. I, I stayed two years out of comedy. I, I took, you know, the first year was just like waiting for a vax. And the second was kind of like, I don't even know what's funny anymore. So when I finally came out, I'm going to open mics again. And, and, and just all of a sudden, it seemed like all the all the all, all the dude comics all of a sudden were by. They're like, turns out I'm by. Like, it was just like, it was just like, oh, that, it was like a wave of it. I was like, okay. There's a lot. It was, I was like, is everyone just trying to get booked on the queer shows now? Like, what's going on? And so I think that sincerely happened. Is this a wave of millennial bias? Uh, I mean, like, also borderline Gen Z guys. But because at least for you know. for my students watching, everyone became non-binary over the pandemic because of TikTok. Sure. Sure, and I say because of with air quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a correlation, not a causation. I, yeah, so I think I think there's like there is. I do when you say post straight and you say it in this like fun camp. I'm, I sincerely think we are be getting to post straight. Oh, to the no, point that there are I people think... being apologetically straight. I'm apologetically straight. Uh, I'm I'm almost like I am so sorry that I, I'm so sorry that I won't do that. I'm yes, I know hetero, very lame. I'm aware. I do try to put on glitter though. Uh, I'm not wearing it today, but like I, I'll people be like, you going to a party? No, just having I'm a just day. I'm just wearing my glitter today. Just having a day. Yeah, my my gay barista think coffee fucking loves me. Andrew and I we're best friends now. I think, <laughs> I think this works in New York City. I think it works in Chicago. It does not work in Ohio. Nah, no. Have you you've been on the ground? Yeah, yeah that's where I live. Oh, that's where you, oh where you are now. I forgot. Yeah, where where are you a professor at? Oberlin College Oberlin and Conservatory, College. which is a town of 8,000 people beyond the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And our county is very red around us. Um, Jim Jordan is our congressman. Oh, I know. He's horrendous. Um, yeah, like you got to watch out for your safety. Um, yeah. Friends of mine who are trans, when you're pumping gas, you got to be conscious of what gas station you're pumping at and where you are and how many other people around you. So, you know, I think in parts of the country, we can be post straight. And in other parts of the country, we've got to keep ourselves safe. 
what are like actual specific measures you take to stay feel safe? Well, you know, so I'm a big guy. I was gonna otherwise add that in. I was I'm like, a big guy. You look like you could put up some resistance. I am a wimp, but I look like a, I can I can look like a bouncer yeah, if you I look want like to. Like you could be a problem we don't know yet. Yes. Um, so I don't ever have to worry about this and I'm white. And so I have the natural entitlement that the whole world is there for me to explore. Sure. So I go, you know, I feel like I can go where I want. Okay. My partner is black and moving through the world with him has been um, a, an education mm-hmm. because I'll drive, I just drive, you know, shortest distance between two lines. And he's like, we're not driving through that suburb. That suburb has racist cops. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I did know that suburb has racist cops, but it had never occurred to me not to drive through it because of that, even though he's in the car with me. So of course we're not going to drive through there. just start becoming a map quest. It's like, no, no, you go on over to, to Route 5A East yeah. and then we take the left on, yeah. on Maryland and yeah, it we is, make a right, we come back around to the only mildly racist cops. So just, moving through the world with a black guy yeah. is is uh, humbling. <laughs> I know you're saying something sincere, but I just had like SNL sketch level like idea where it was just the idea of like like <laughs> um, the GPS, but like instead of like oh, warning you when there's like a traffic closure or there's an accident, it, war- it warns you of, like <laughs> recalculating route, racist cops two miles ahead. But you know how the lady gets stuck and just keeps saying recalculating, <laughs> recalculating? Like, that is what... He just wrote it. <laughs> just that, <laughs> you know, and and it would be one of those sort of poignant, frustrating SNL sketches because you'd be like, where is the punchline? She just keeps recalculating. And the answer would be, there are no cops to be safe around. Yeah, Bobby Moynihan has to run out and yell something ridiculous and clear the scene. Yeah, so. I mean, like... We've been pulled over three times, and the cops always want to know if he's my drug dealer. Because yeah. the only reason why a black guy and a white guy would be in a car together, apparently, is if he's my dealer. And you're like, yo, officer, hold on to your badge when I tell you. <laughs> well, we're both scared shitless because yeah. we want to get out of there alive. So, um, you know, I'm not afraid for my safety, but I'm afraid for his safety. Gotcha. And, um, yeah, so you know, moving through the world, I I feel safe in most places, and mm-hmm. I took my self defense classes back in college, so I know where the pain points are. Okay. Um, I will slap you to death if you mess with me, um, but I also don't want to get into a fight, so I don't go into, mm-hmm. I don't go, I try not to go where I'm not wanted. Okay, uh, is this the first time you dated someone who wasn't white before? No. Okay. Is it, but you say, uh, this is the first real, uh, this, I mean, we've been together for 10 years, so it's the longest relationship gotcha, I've been okay, in. Okay. Cause you're, you're describing like almost like discovering new things, but then if you've been like, I, you know, you know, it, it's probably that if I was dating other guys of color, they probably just weren't letting me in and I probably didn't deserve to be let in back then. Okay. I don't know if I deserve it today, but I have been let in. So. What drove your interest in studying gay bars? In Cleveland, my favorite gay bar closed. And there was a discussion back then around 2014 coming out of New York City that all gay bars were closing. And I was like, are they? Because nobody had any data. And we had journalists who were making sort of bold pronouncements. But 
you know, I'm a nerd and I was like, how could we figure this out? Wow. And so I was like, we're going to um, get these old guidebooks and we're going to physically count the number of gay bars in every city in the entire country from 1972 to 2017. How did you also factor for new, newly open gay bars or just like because the, the, most, guidebook. the most recent guidebooks? Uh, yeah, that was at the time, the most recent guidebook at 20, 2017. Um, and there were a lot of questions that we couldn't answer. Yes. Gay bars are on the decline. Um, 45% of gay bars closed between 2023 and 2001. So in the last, what in the last 21 years, 45% of gay bars have closed. So they're on a big decline. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell from the numbers why they were closing. And so I thought, I'll go ask gay bar owners because they're the ones who have the books. Sure. They're the ones who can see the raw numbers. And many of the owners have been in the business for 20 or 30 years, so they could tell me. And so I started interviewing people and then it got a little obsessive. What were some of the answers they were giving you that weren't the same things like any bar owner would say? Most bar owners would be like, ah, oh, the rent. But like, why, why these bars? In the big cities, yes, rents. But in Ohio, it's not rent that's closing gay bars. It's depopulation. It's mm. the fact that we're losing people. And Cleveland has shrunk during the time I've been there. So you would expect some gay bars to close, but we've had many more of them have closed. So, you know, one of the things that was interesting is that gay scenes are very local. Mm -hmm. So I would be in one city and the owner would be like, thank God for the young people. If the young people weren't around, the old people don't go out anymore. And I'd drive two hours down the road to the next little gay bar and they'd be like, thank God for the old timers because young people just don't go out anymore. And some of the owners were like, it's the apps. The apps have totally stolen our business. And then three hours down the road, someone would be like, thank God for the apps because everyone comes here on their first date. Is it possible none of them know what they're talking about? What <laughs> are you saying really is hyper-specific? I like think it's hyper-local. Okay. And, you know, it. the best evidence I have for this is during the time I was doing the research, up until two years ago, there were only two cities in the country that had three lesbian bars. There were only two cities in the country that had more than one lesbian bar. So you were factoring lesbian bars in all this research? Oh, yeah. Okay. Because oh, like, yeah. we are familiar a bit here on the show with the Lesbian Bar Project. I've had uh, some of the people who were running it on a few years ago. We uh, we did some update about it. I had on uh, um, Lisa from Cubby Hole. She's yeah. been a guest on the pod. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, there were only two cities that had more than one lesbian New bar. New York and... Oklahoma City. <laughs> Oklahoma City is a lesbian capital of the United States. And the only explanation that I have been able to find that makes any sense is that the scene is hyper-local and Oklahoma City dykes go out. Okay. And they party. So, um, yeah, I was keeping track of lesbian bars. I was keeping track of bars serving queer people of color. I was keeping track of men's kink bars. Those are the three kinds of bars that have been most endangered. Mm -hmm. Although we just did a gay bar census for 2023 and there are now 29 lesbian bars in the country, which is a big uptick since the pandemic when there were only 15. Yeah. And when the lesbian bar project launched, they've, they started with 15 and I think it came from a study that I did that had said 15. Hey. Um, there were actually more. Okay. There were that's, more. that's encouraging to hear. Yeah. I mean, 29 for the whole country is not a great record, but 29 is better than 15. And and what 
significance do gay bars have to a local queer scene? Uh, because like a local queer scene isn't just the gay bar, it's other th- aspects, but like the gay bar feels, this is just me like talking out my ass, but it feels like it's like a centerpiece. Like it's our, um, coming of age, uh, rite of passage. Like everyone can tell you the first time they went to a gay bar. Usually it was disappointing because usually they were scared shitless and usually they expected someone beautiful to sweep them off their feet Mm -hmm. and they weren't. But even in New York city, like, um, you know, is there a gay bar on Staten Island? I don't think so. So it's like not all of New York city is one big queer scene, even in a big city like New York. If the bar is a performance space, then it creates this whole ecosystem of performers. And there's queer comedians, there's uh, drag performances. And if bars like that close, they take away people's livelihood and they take away, you know, there's something special about being in the audience when you're laughing together and suddenly you feel like maybe humanity isn't full of shitty people mm-hmm. just because we both had the sense of the, the same sense of humor. And that kind of thing goes away. In smaller cities, sometimes gay bars are the only places that have a gender-neutral restroom or where the local PFLAG chapter meets or um, where the local pride celebration gets organized out of. So they sort of catalyze things. There was a there was for a while a gay bar in McAllister, Oklahoma, which is a county that has like 40,000 people total. Mm. And they were having a little gay film festival in the bar. So the people of rural Oklahoma were getting, you know, queer film festival. You don't have to go to Tribeca. You can stay in McAllister and, and, and get a taste of what it's like to see queer people on stage or on a screen <laughs> with other people. Yeah. And in your book, you have like uh, stories from your personal dating life and sure. adventures are in there as well, right? Yeah, yes. How how does that blend together? Like, is this mostly like, is this more memoir than research or is this no. more research than memoir? It's, this is like ethical slut where like, there's a, it's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, but there's like a lesbian fisting scene somewhere two thirds into the book. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I think of it less as research mm-hmm. and more as storytelling because I didn't write this as an academic book and okay. I, I wasn't writing it for other academics. I was actually writing it for people. Okay. And there's, I think as a reader, you have to know who is the person who's telling you the stories because I can only tell a certain kind of story mm-hmm. because people are only going to open up to me in certain ways. And so you needed to know about me so that you could judge the trustworthiness. But I was also trying to let other people be the storytellers. So Mm -hmm. one of the advantages I had was I had the time to drive around the country and let people tell their stories. And so I sort of curated them for readers. Um, And so I don't think of it as research. I'm in there. It's not really memoir because I'm not like, oh, I was laying on my bed at 17 thinking these thoughts. But I write like, this was my first gay bar. This was the time I got fired from a federally funded research project for having sex with one of the people in one of the bars. And um, the first time I got fired from that was a the first. It was the only research project. <laughs> I could have been more discreet. I put it in the field notes. Oh, that's wow. That's a, that's a risk. <laughs> well, the thing was, the study was about risk taking, mm-hmm. and I had been hit on. I was cute then. I'd been hit on a thousand times. Okay 
all we were doing was going to bars and like cataloging them all around San Francisco. And I'd been hit on a thousand times. So I was like, why this time? Why did I, why did I let this guy sort of, um, get me? And I was like, that was a big risk. And I was like, we can learn a lot from this in our study. And so I wrote it up and they were like, yeah, no fired. (laughs) Uh, public sex or discreet public sex seems to be a thing for a gay bar. It is a thing for a certain kind of gay bar that tends to serve cis men. Okay. And those bars have also faced a reckoning along with lesbian bars that now bars need to be open to all LGBTQ plus people. Okay. So, you know, the cruisy bars that had a back room where, you know, guys were having quasi public sex, um, they still exist, but these bars admit women now and they admit trans people. And so that has been a real big adjustment for some older guys. So what's been the adjustment? Like only between these hours, can you take your dick out in the back? Well, you know, what's interesting is when you try and talk to bar owners about this, they will tell you, there's no sex at my bar. And I was like, well, what about yesterday? And they're like, no, we don't have sex in our bar. And I was like, you know, you can kind of see the the blinking right. that where they're like, don't talk about this. Don't get me in trouble. Yeah, because liquor licenses are like you, legit. And you can lose your license or the fines can be in the five figures. Okay, maybe you can. Uh, something came up in my email this morning. Uh, an editor of mine at, at Mashable was like, "Hey, I'm seeing like a lot of discourse about dark rooms. What? What do you, I'm seeing a lot of people talk about dark rooms? Can you like? Would you want to like do a piece about dark rooms? And I was like, I don't even know what that means. I did a quick Google, and it really just gave. And like on, on Twitter, like, I, okay, dark rooms like a room that's dark, and people like have some sex in. That's usually in like a nightclub or a bar or something like that." Okay, I get that. Sounds very European. Okay. And then I'm like, I go on Twitter real quick and it's a lot of the, any like dark room hashtags that do follow very explicit, uh, like nightclub gay sex videos. I'm okay. That's, uh, is 803 in the morning and this is how I'm starting my day. And then I'm just like, this, I couldn't imagine it being in America because of how uptight we are about sex stuff and liquor licenses. That I, I emailed her back. I was like, I mean, I could look into it, but I can't imagine a bar has some sort of semi-formalized space that has a dark room where you could fuck and risk fucking up there. I hope you're okay. Please don't die. It's, okay. Fuck, I hope it wasn't. You're not that angry. Uh, but just the idea of like, yeah, risking the liquor license is the big fucking deal. They yeah. don't really care what you, I can't do a naked comedy show. A lot of places were like, oh, we can't even entertain the, the logistics of that because like, we don't know. It's not illegal to have a naked comedy show with your liquor license, but like maybe, and why risk it? So that's yes. where I'm coming from. Yeah. It, so it, what do you know about these dark rooms? Yes. Okay, because I've fucked around in dark rooms. I just have it wasn't like a formal space at a bar. We just like arranged a dark room to do anonymous sex. Nobody would talk on the record about these places, uh-huh. and probably they need to be protected. Yeah. So a, a, a veil of secrecy should be drawn around them. But they are more co- common in Europe or outside the United States in South America too. Okay. Um, in places where people tend to live with their parents until they get married, okay, then for those folks, it may be in a bar or a nightclub is the only place they can hook up to have sex. Right. Especially if you can't afford like a cheap motel or a cheap hotel room. So uh, 
I understood the like the need for okay. quote unquote like the darkroom stuff. I understood oh, culturally the I licensing. Like, I mean, you can't yeah. license them, and in many cities, even if you want to have a sex club, you can't get a liquor license because usually right. state liquor laws prohibit immorality or however yeah. it is. Hacienda is a BYOB space, right? right? But like, I understood like why like queer people uh, would need and like gay men historically would need like these dark rooms because it's like this is the only place we can be sexual with each other unless we're going to the park or something. I, I understood that, but like the, if, you know, if there is currently some sort of trend or discourse of dark rooms, I was like, there's no trend. Wild. Okay. Like if, if anything, the trend has been, these places are going away and they've been going away in the same way that gay bathhouses have been on the decline uh-huh. and public cruising has been on the decline. So, you know, one of the things that was the people really in prospect park, <laughs> really uh i i still see people on even, which again, corner <clears throat> this morning i don't know the corner because it's not my park that i normally go to but i do hear even i had zachary zane on like uh like a month ago and he was like yeah i know that any moment i could open grinder and meet someone in prospect park yes but, but in general as a trend they're on the down. but you have to open grinder yeah like that's been the big change is it's privatized it that now it's happening it's mediated by the little screen we've agreed in our to meet. we're not just going there and hoping to lock right. eyes because in the old days yeah. yeah you would go to the place and you would hope and and pray that someone would come that you were attracted to who found you attractive did you ever do cruising of course how how, how was the first time you oh went to a God. park with the intention of at some point having a dick your dick out or someone's dick in you in a public manner it used to be that a guy would lock eyes with you for a little bit too long and you'd look away and you'd look over and he'd look away and there would be this sort of dance of the gaze G-A-Z-E. Yeah. Um, and there was also the look back where you'd be walking down the street, you'd make eye contact with someone and you'd count to three and then you'd turn around to see if he was looking back too. Mm-hmm. And then you both would stop and look in the window at the store and then look over to see if the other person had stopped and then you'd go back and you'd talk. And that was very exciting. The whole world felt electric because at any moment, at any time, you had better pay attention because you know, Mr. Right or Mr. Right Now might be there for you. And now, what am I doing? I'm reading the New York Times while I'm walking down the sidewalk. I'm listening to music. I'm talking to people on the phone. I am not attending to the people around me, nor are they attending to me. Public cruising has gone away for the most part, except in big cities, of course. And so, and part of the reason it's going away, you're saying it's just simply like, technology where you're not you're not no, paying attention we're, to signal, it's the not just signals. the technology we we have chosen to be absorbed in our little private lives rather than a public life together mm-hmm. that's the choice we have all made right and the technology and, didn't do it to us really we you, let the technology you think that was there b- before iphones uh, that was that was happening i'm sure that pe- their cruising was so much better before the printing press <laughs> that i am sure that those little letter block presses made people pay attention to sheets of paper rather than the people around them the peasants around them 17 16 some old queen is just like complaining about ah these newspapers yes exactly well you know i used to get so much dick before gutenberg (laughs) some of these drag clubs really complained back in the 50s about television yeah they're like people used to go out to be entertained and now they stay inside so you know 
we like our private pleasures, we Americans. I don't know if other people are as into our private pleasures as, as Americans are, but mm-hmm. that's certainly the choices that we consistently make. And so these public places are kind of going away. Well, Gregor, I'm excited to read uh, this book, Who Needs Gay Bars? I am. Uh, it's, it's very interesting to me. I've really enjoyed Hugh Ryan's uh, when, when Brooklyn Was Queer. Yeah, he's and- great. We're having a talk tonight. I saw that. I, and I also saw, I was like, oh, this is what you look like without your fucking facial hair, man. <laughs> yeah, you saw him on Twitter. It's on the on your Twitter feed. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I have never had a historian post thirst traps to promote a, a, a talk. <laughs> and, you know, it's a shame there's no photos of me when I was young and pretty. Oh, no. No. It all exists in my mind. Oh, Gregor, I'm so sorry. For that's you. okay. But, you know, where can people, uh, wait, real quick, um, do you have like an extra like 10-ish minutes to do a little bonus episode? Yeah, sure. Tell me if this is too on the spot. This would be behind a paywall, so like I don't think anyone bad is going to hear it, but like you went and drove around and you cataloged all these fucking gay bars. Would you be down to do maybe like best and worst gay bars of the in, in the country? You can ask me those questions, and I will parry in interesting ways. How about that? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, Patreon people, you're going to hear that tomorrow. But for now, where can people go to uh, find you, follow you, get the book? I am at Gregor Matson on all socials, including TikTok, G-R-E-G-G-O-R-M-A-T-T-S-O-N. Thank you for all the double letters, mom and dad. Um, you can get the book at any fine bookseller, but go to an independent bookseller, go to the bureau here in New York City, or go to um, yeah, go to your local indie bookstore and they'll buy it for you. And if you don't want to go somewhere, guess what? I have a I will have a bookshop.org link in the show notes. Yay. As long as it's listed on there. Uh, it's and, listed. And it, it will it will it will get your copy that you order from an independent bookshop somewhere. And also like you're supporting an indie podcaster in the process. Yes, that's so the way to go. Go click that link if that's what you want to get. Go follow Gregor in the places and uh uh, Patreon people, we'll see you tomorrow. For now, Gregor, why don't you uh, go ahead and say goodbye to everybody? Hey, thanks. This was great. Wait, wait, wait. Before you go, just hold on. You like you love content. I know you love content. So don't hit fast forward or don't swipe over to your next podcast episode just yet because I have a little more content for you. It's coming up just on the back end of this. And I know how much some of you like my back end. Going to play a little teaser of my bonus episode with Gregor Matson in just a moment. I just need to remind you that Man Horcon weekend passes are still on sale. Join us in New York City for a super fun fan whore weekend August 3rd through August 6th. Gonna be starting up Thursday night, and we're gonna begin over our hangovers together Sunday early afternoon. The best place to discuss this week's show is in the episode discussion channel in the Champagne Room, our Discord server. Join all the conversations today at manwarpod.com/discord. The best way to support the podcast is to enjoy the benefits of membership on Patreon. Now that I'm not with Glassbox no more, uh, my Patreon income is actually really, really important right now. So if you got two bucks to throw down, if you got five, if you got ten, if you want to throw a hundo, it's been a minute since I had one of those. Whatever you got in like spare change in your cup holder in your car, you could just throw that my way. You weren't doing anything with it anyway. You were just looking at it being like, I got to... 
I got to bring that to the bank and get it, get it turned into paper soon. And then you go, well, actually, U.S. currency isn't even paper. It's really like cloth. And then after all that brain power, you could have already joined up at patreon.com slash podcast. So I don't know what you're waiting for. And if you want to help the show for free, share the link to the podcast wherever you're comfortable, with whomever you're comfortable, and like maybe one person with whom you're, you're taking a risk. Just tell them it's Sex in the City meets Howard Stern, but like updated. But for now, uh, you're going to hear a little teaser clip of my bonus episode with Gregor Matson coming out tomorrow for all of my $5 and up fan whores. Next week, I'm bringing back an X. Ooh, I know y'all love the X episodes. Well, I got an X episode coming up for you. Do not miss next week. Chase your Amy's and stay slutty. Uh, it had to be publicly recognized as a gay bar. So either they had to self-identify or people on Yelp or Google Business had to say, this is a great gay bar or this is a terrible gay bar. Okay. We were letting, we were saying, let's crowdsource this thing. Let's take the wisdom of the masses. If they're saying this gay bar sucks and, you know, <laughs> then we're like, okay, it's a gay bar. It's just who someone has a stick up their butt about it and is really mad about it.